Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Peru. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. And to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? Welcome back to a new week on Out of the Bubble. Hope you're having a lovely summer. Everybody I know is on summer holidays at the moment. We're not going away until September, so I feel like summer's long, but it's all good and I hope you're having fun whatever you're doing. I've been wanting to talk to this week's guest for several years and we have been kind of trying to liaise with each other and get it in our diaries. So I am so pleased that we have finally managed to meet up. Um, Today, I don't know where to start with this lady. She's incredible. Today we're going to be talking to Baroness Helen Newlove and she is um, somebody that has got so many strings to her bow now and it all started back in 2007 when tragically her husband Gary was murdered by youth and her she could not possibly have imagined those circumstances and also her life after that. She has gone on to really campaign and make such a big difference to people in communities. She became the Victims Commissioner she is the she's a public speaker, a broadcaster. She's the author of It Could Happen to You. She's a Tory peer. She's the Pro Vice Chancellor um, of the University of Bolton. And she is also the Deputy Speaker of the House of Lords. And we have got such a lot to talk about. Helen really is the epitome of somebody that has kind of followed her heart and led with that and really has gone on to do some incredible work to help others and used her uh, tragic experiences to um, empower and help other people and other victims. So got a lot to talk about. Grab a coffee and enjoy. Well, welcome, Helen. I am so pleased that you and I have finally connected and got together. Hello. Hello. I'm really excited for our next session with I love chatting. So you'll have to shut me up. I'm delighted because we follow each other on Instagram and you're such an amazing lady yourself. So I'm absolutely grateful for the invitation. Well, as I said in your introduction, you have got a long list of credentials behind you and there's so much that we've got to talk about this morning. But I asked my my guests the same first question. So if you could pick three words to describe yourself, what would they be and why? This is a difficult one because I'm no, I can sell ice to Eskimos, but I, I don't know if you come across this. Um, I think how I describe myself is gutsy. Um, and I think that's only later in life I've got gutsy. I'm absolutely um, intriguing in like to find out things. So I think I should have been a detective really in, in a younger, another world. But I think most importantly is not accepting if, if I don't feel that something's right, I'll actually, um, I'm one of these that's intrigued to find out further details. So I think I'm gutsy, I'm gutsy and uh, I'm going to say I'm gorgeous. <laughs> Three G's. <laughs> Love that. Absolutely. And you are. And it's a really interesting question because we, we, we don't often like talking about ourselves. We're, we're great at describing other people, but when it comes to ourselves, we're not very good at that. So I love finding out what people would say about themselves. And, you know, you have got such a story to tell and it's 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 difficult to know where to start, but I suppose we have to start with the tragic events of, of Gary's tragic death in 2007. Uh, because that's been the pivotal point in your life where everything changed for you and you could not possibly have imagined what was what was going to happen, could you? No, uh, I, it's and it's 15 years in like in a few days. Uh, it's just madness in a sense of something so tra- completely changed 
me as a person, I changed our lives and never ever thought that, you know, anything like that would. But it's, yeah, it's, I've had so much support. We did at the very beginning, you know, people from all across the globe. But when you, um, I've always been interested in law. So I used to work in the courts and I used to be a legal PA when I had the children. But I think for me, it was, even though I was in a blur, that something so brutal could happen and it was it was kind of for me it was a protection mode for my daughters because to me they're my heroines I call them that every day that you know they witnessed their dad's murder they did you know they did CPR on him they pulled his tongue out because he was choking on his own blood you know I did very little really in that sense I wasn't there I was in the house wasn't very well so they're my you know for them it's just that even today they just suffer with PTSD mm. but the, the fact is that you know, you never know. I always used to say we're all like Jacqueline Hyde in a sense as personalities. But it's a case of from what I saw, what, you know, to happen to Gary and then that final decision to have to turn his life support machine off, that you never, you never get over that. And it's having no control after that because it was, you know, you, you, you sat in the room in the hospital when the consultants then, you know, Gary's becoming a murder scene and you're thinking, whoa, well, hang on a minute. What, you know, it's kind of little things I still remember. Like there's a lot of things I don't remember, but a lot of things like you think, hang on a minute, I've got no control. They're having other conversations. So have great family liaison officers that were uh, allocated to us. You know, they're still good friends today, but it's, you know, it's just, I can't believe I'm the person I am. It, what happened to us within seconds on a summer's night for Gary to walk out, you know, we were an ordinary family. As we were, I wasn't Mother Teresa, you know, Gary wasn't the Pope. We had three kids, you can imagine up and down. But it, you know, it, it was just surreal, actually. And, you know, people even say today, did you have a vision? And I didn't. For me, it was just getting through each day as it as it came. Yeah. Then, of course, it became a murder investigation. And you have no control of that. You know, my daughters were giving, were giving evidence, they were interviewed. They were so brave, so young and so traumatized. And after a 10-week court trial, you know, listening there, we came in, we were told how to, you know, the girls were told to behave in court, you know, emotionally. Yet you've got five sisters cross-examining them I thought it was really um disgraceful um being goaded by the family members and it was it was you know 10 weeks is hard going and that was a break for Christmas and obviously Gary's birthday you know 5th of November and then Christmas and my birthday so it was a very very on top of everything else it was kind of learnerlings but so yeah I mean going back to the, the fact that it was such a long process you've gone through all that trauma and then you have to go through the 10, 12 weeks of that. And you really didn't get a lot of support. How do you come yeah, out of that um, without feeling really, did you come out of that feeling really angry and let down by the system? Is that what kind of started this whole campaign? I think from somebody who knew the system, who worked in the system and took evidence down, telling my family what would happen. And I have to say, you know, that they... The family liaison officer Chris Stubbs and Helen Lee and Eddie Waring, you know, uh, all them, they were brilliant helping helping the family. More importantly, they were helping the girls because the girls wouldn't believe me. I was, you know, mum was protecting them. And yeah. so I, I would, they would sit down and talk to them. And I think the only time uh, that I really had difficulty was the very beginning of the trial where they, they call them legal arguments, where nobody's allowed, you know, where they're not, no, 
presses allowed in or anything. And it was the very first time of hearing Gary's name mentioned. And it made me feel physically sick because you're hearing barristers and the prosecutor and you have no control. And yet they don't know Gary. Mm. Um, And I came out and I felt it was a circus and I didn't sleep that night. We'd already had to move home because of the circumstances. My daughters weren't sleeping. And so I sat, you know, downstairs with Gary's Assage and I just said to him, this is a complete circus and I'm sorry we're letting you down. And I was feeling very suicidal. And that was the only time I didn't go back to court. My police officers were really concerned about that. So even though you know the system, when it actually comes the other way, you know, as victims and families, you have very little rights in that in that case. But I didn't even look at it like that. I just wanted to do, you know, do Gary well. Yeah. And my main concern was the evidence that the girls had to do was, you know, looking at, you know, it's for them, it, they were grieving for their dad and they hadn't had that space to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a really difficult 10 weeks, but I must have absorbed something because afterwards I was full of, you know, I wasn't angry. I was disappointed in in how people react in, in a court situation. Yeah. But you could have easily, what, what I find really interesting about you, Helen, is you could have easily taken a lot of time and kind of, not recluse, but you could have really retreated within yourself, given yourself that space to heal and not wanted to go into that arena anymore and just kind of put it, try and move on and, and heal from that. And instead you chose to campaign to make changes because of your experiences. And there was something, I'm guessing there was something in you that felt really driven and compelled to be part of the conversation rather than sit back and not. Was it an immediate thing or did it slowly evolve? I think it slowly evolved because sitting for 10 weeks, they were talking about Gary. And when Zoe gave evidence, who was 18, so she was an adult, had, was in court, albeit screened, they had a map of who was around Gary. And so she's always remembered him as Man A. And for me, at the end of the 10 weeks, I was given this, these questions by the press officer at the Cheshire Police. It was absolutely fantastic. But I'd never been asked to make a statement, not even from the media. Yeah. So I never, I think the way I looked about it was, don't look at what's going on. This was a voice for Gary. So I knew my daughters would watch. And this was us as a unit to say, I'm going to you know, speak about dad. Mm. I'm going to speak about what we remember him to be at. Because none of that was taken into consideration in a sense as, as we felt, because it's all about facts and everything, evidence. Yeah. So for me, that's all I did. And then, of course, there was lots of media. And Jackie Hansen, who was the press officer at the time, said, you know, if you're not feeling so good, we'll stop and start. But once I started, I think them 10 weeks, I wanted to balance it was actually what Gary had done. He'd gone out in the community to help others. That was as simple as it was. And, you know, for me... That he was a hero in a sense, he went to protect and yet lost his life to do it. And so I never, I think it slowly evolved. And then I didn't know that there was lots of media attention. I, I, I completely, you know, my daughters, because they were upset as well. Because with the 24 hour news, that I'm not talking 15 years, it was even yeah. quicker today, they knew the results before I could tell them. And they were angry at me because I hadn't. And I'm saying, but I was locked in the courtroom for protection yeah. and, and mum couldn't get to you. So, you know, there was lots of things I had to, to do that. And I just, the next day, I remember that after sentencing on Sky News, there was this gangster from America and he was fed up of 
of burying his gang, you know, his brothers and sisters. Mm. And it says email in. So I emailed in. And, and the next thing I was breaking news, you know, and, and then Jackie rang me and said, what have you done? And I went, well, I was just saying I quite agree with this guy from America. You know, it's so wrong. We've sat and she said, no, 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 that's wonderful. But I'm telling the media that actually she's not right yet. She wants a bit of space and you're on Sky News now. So the phone's just... So it kind of evolved quickly, but slowly because also, you know, the practicalities, we had to move home. Mm -hmm. I had to look after the girls with their education. All that goes on. That doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. There might be a court case and you might, but the practicalities of life doesn't stop. So... Yeah, I would say it evolved and I was just, I was, you know, people came and I, I had the opportunities to do lots of things and it was always ensuring that Gary would never be a statistic. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of been the key to everything, hasn't it? And the campaigning that you did around yes. Warrington, um, because that's the other thing, you could have easily chosen to kind of move away from from there and, and not be part of that community and instead you really threw yourself into it to try and make it a better place, um, which I'm guessing is a yeah. legacy. Well, it is because, it, you know, for me, I love communities. I love having, you know, the neighbours. And we'd lived elsewhere in Warrington. I'd been there since I was 18. And we moved where we did to help my mum and my late father. And, and, you know, the support we got was absolutely wonderful. And, you know, the press liked to slate, you know, areas. One side of the bridge was Leafy Padgate. You know, Fernhead yeah. was where we lived was the other. And, and it was no detriment to them. But I just thought all these wonderful people that, you know, that they're brilliant in communities. And so for me, I wanted to do something for them, but also for the young people of Warrington, because, mm. you know, 1% are feral, but the rest are really good. And it's to give something back to ensure. And at the time, uh, you know, it was a lot of alcohol issues at the yeah. time as well. So yeah, it was for me very important. And again, it was through the wonderful support of, you know, a lot of people, Warrington Wolves, foundation because Warrington's a big rugby place mm. uh and I have to say I like St Helens because I like the colours I don't like the colours of Warrington they kill me <laughs> but you know and I love rugby um but the Warrington Walls Foundation you know let us uh, come on board to show us how to run a around run a, a charity but also involve the girls so the logo was made by the girls, you know uh so it involved them which was very important. Yeah. And you know we had no no knowledge of how to do these things and I'm very grateful to this day and I still talk to them um for the help and to kind of into you know what we could do and um and so for me you know when we launched Warrington New Love it was really um New Love Warrington should say you know it was a case of I've learned so much you know what goes on in the background what you need to do and yeah. I think that built my confidence as well but I was always wary that, you know, I wouldn't be used and abused, not by these people in Warrington, but you have to think in the background because I had to protect my daughters. So it was wonderful to, you know, when we launched, had a big launch with Peter Kay and Rick Astley, mm. um, who were all, you know, to, to what Gary and I loved Rick Astley and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I was very grateful, you know, and it was it was just that all came together. Uh, we, I put a powerful video on that was made about how it impacts your life. You can change within seconds. You know, I did woke, wake up a wife and went to bed a widow. It's as mm. simple as that. Mm. And for me, that really, I think that was the wheel of giving the voice and helping other young people in Warrington to say, you know, we've got great creative little entrepreneurs here. 
Yeah. So that's where it all started. So even that, which is incredible in itself, you still could not have imagined that you would kind of go down this political route. So how did it then turn into something even bigger? You know, the fact that you were the victims commissioner, how did that come about and how did that make you feel? Was that some an easy decision? It was a strange decision to, to make. With the money that we, we raised with the launch, I wanted to do a radio project because Gary was very much into music. He was a DJ and we wanted to do something that relayed to Gary as a personality. So we set up a re- the radio station with the help of the university students because I'm not technical. And I mean, you know, today it's even simpler, but then, you know, So the students were wonderful. We had the Bauer Group who came on board. Um, After that, there was a program called Noel House Party, not House Party, HQ, which was surprising us with everything. I mean, the cost of, you know, licensing is absolutely manic. Mm. But we wanted to do something for that what the the kids would enjoy. So we we got a shop in the middle. Uh, We wanted to do proper radio programs. So they helped us all out. We had the professional DJs and and Zoe did the breakfast show with them, you know, and the girls got in the background. We had Warrington rugby players. And, you know, we wanted to have a also a discussion about politics. And and of course, before that, that kind of came together. I got a, a, an email which signed off David Cameron, and um, and I'm thinking, yeah, sure, you know, you, you know, you're not David Cameron at all. And uh, so I phoned Cheshire Police and I said to Jackie, you know, somebody is pretending to be David Cameron, <laughs> and I don't think that's right, you know, because he was opposition <laughs> at the time. Gordon Brown was the PM, yeah. and I said, I don't think that's right. Firstly, I said, you know, you need to look into this security. So she said, Oh, I'll look into it, and she came back a couple days later. She actually is David Cameron. He's on a private email address. So I went, Oh my lord! <laughs> so I emailed, and I'm asking, Why is he emailing me? And he emailed back. I emailed him back, and he didn't respond. And and then I, I thought, Oh, you're just like everybody else, because you, you are flooded with lots mm. of people, which is nice, but also, you know, it's you want to build and understand it. And he came back and he said, I'm so sorry. He said, but I've been in holiday in South Africa. And I'm, I said, oh, I feel awful now. I mean, I read some of these emails I've got. I'm thinking, where did I come from? You know, but if you think about it, I never slept. I was up, you know, I, I was on this, this mission in my head. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's why, that's how I became good friends with David Cameron. And so when the radio station, I asked, could I interview him? for this and he said yes so I went to Capital Radio in London because he was doing he was based there and we inter- I interviewed him and then um, Gordon Brown uh, had written to me which the girl saw his handwriting and thought I'd made it up and I and, you know I think a few years later his handprint with you know his handwriting I said see I didn't make it up <laughs> and um, he very kindly he was on a visit because of security and everything he agreed and then I, I, it was like last minute you find out and we got on really well. He was at a school in Manchester. So um, Nixie, the DJ, who sadly passed away last year, I think he did. Um, mm. We did the interview with Gordon Brown. The only person we didn't get was Nick Clegg. But hey ho, I'm not really fussed. <laughs> but so that's where the political, you know. And I've been on some conferences with David Cameron. I'd done a lot of political um, news columns at the time. And so I didn't see myself as a politician. I just felt that, you know, this isn't right. And Mm. 
it was for the good kids we need to protect, not keep going on about these feral kids where for me, and even now, you know, we don't talk about the good kids who may still have struggles, but don't go on to commit crime. So, and that's where it came with the radio station and uh, it went from there. And then, you know, I did some conferences with David and out of the blue, I got a phone call, which I thought was for a conference and asked, you know, would, would I like to take a seat in the House of Lords? Well, you know, you know, it's a bit, I'm a working class mum, you know, this isn't my world. Mm. You you can't tell anybody, but I did have a word with my mum, God bless her, uh, who loves the royals, loves history. I think that's where I get it from. And she went, oh my word. She said, you can't say no to David. I mean, I think it was David Cameron (laughs) she was more impressed with. (laughs) And I'd studied law and I thought, all these red benches, they sound boring in a book. You know, I I was honoured to do that, but you cannot mention it to anybody and of course, in the meantime, there was a general election. So it was like eight months of not saying anything to anybody. I mean, obviously, my daughters did because it yeah. was a big, you know, they needed that discussion. And then for them, like, it was like they carried on then. They didn't bother. But yeah, yeah it was a real surreal. Yeah. And then, of course, when the general election was decided, I knew first that I'd been accepted because you are Czech background, right? which is quite hilarious because I was thinking, oh, my God, have I paid me a lecky bill? Have I paid me a credit <laughs> card bill? You know, I'm thinking because that's my world, you know. Yeah. And when I spoke to the leader of the, the Lords, it was quite funny. You know, he said, no, it's if you give them like, the party millions. I said, if I had millions, my daughter would spend it on designer shoes, whatever, yeah. she thought was hilarious. And so when all that was done, you cannot say anything until you get green light from number 10. So, of course, with the election, nobody. Mm. And then I'm on ticker tape on Sky. And I had to phone number 10 and say, I've not said anything. Mm. I have not said a word. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of, the phone never stopped then. And it was it was quite, yeah, it was scary, I have to say. It was scary because it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not right. It's, you know, it's, it's not something you get asked every day. Not at all. And it seems to me that there must have been a point where, through this whole campaigning after Gary died, that you were kind of his voice for him in his absence. And then when you when you started moving into this political arena, when you were in the House of Lords, was there a point where you started feeling like, actually, it was you now and your voice? that So it was there a crossover where you actually thought, well, actually, I've got to start owning my voice now because this is the work that I'm doing. It's not just about, you know, what happened to Gary. It's more than that now. Yeah, you know, that's that is a really fantastic question. And you're the only person apart from what my my mentor is my friend, uh, who's actually said that. And it's quite refreshing because I struggled on that that kind of changeover, if you get me. Mm. Because when you when you enter the House of Lords, you know, the the full of people really highly qualified, gone to the big universities, they're XMPs, you know, it's people I watched on the telly when I fed the children when they were babies yeah. so it was like you know somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder here and say you know I felt a bit like Hilda Rogden not that anybody remembers Hilda <laughs> you know thinking you're not allowed here you know everything and yeah it was when they I think it was a couple of people who said now what's your background because that's what they do oh how did you come in here from yeah. the other place and of course you know to say, well, my husband was murdered and, and it stops the conversation. So it was, I mentioned this one day and uh, Baroness Morris of Bolton Trish, who was my mentor and I absolutely love her to bits. She, uh, she said, I'm going to slap you in a minute. She said, yes, Gary is part of the story and your journey. 
but it's your voice and your passion and your commitment that has given you this seat in the House of Lords. It's yeah. down to you. And from that stage, so you've asked Simla in a different way. And from that moment on, then I thought, well, yes, I, you know, I didn't feel as guilty or whatever. And it gave me the confidence to go forward. But it was very difficult to do that transition. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I can yeah, imagine that. Because I'm just, that you know, syndrome, isn't it? That... Yeah, that imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, what do I say to this? Yeah. I'm not in politics. And so the process, which was even better, is when you join the House of Lords, you, you're inducted into the House of Lords, you're ennobled, which I always say when I go around schools, it feels like I'm being embalmed, really, <laughs> not ennobled. You make a maiden speech. Until you make a maiden speech, you can't take part in debates, but I can yeah. vote, which is really strange. Uh, and I thought, oh, I'm going to put that off for a while because Lord Heseltine, he didn't do his for nine years. And I thought, oh, oh I've right. never spoken, you know, spoke at conferences and I asked a question, but I've never stood up and said about myself. Yeah. Again, it's something that I think a lot of women struggle with. Mm. I definitely do. And and your speech is about eight minutes. And and then I I. In the meantime, I've been given a government role for antisocial behaviour going around in communities and I made a report. And so <laughs> the head, the, the special advisor rang and said, oh, we know we'd like you to discuss this report. And I went, well, I can't because I've not maybe made a speech. So I've, you know, kind of, and, um, oh, well, we sorted that shit because this, this, this is coming in. And we, you can, I went, oh, my lordy <laughs> Lou. Uh, and of course, this is a new process to me, you know, making a report and everything. That was all kind of mind blowing. And so when, when you do your maiden speech, the thing about it is it's lovely because you're introducing yourself and, and whatever. And there's a protocol. You always thank the doorkeepers who I love the staff. They're the staff. But everything goes silent. So if you see when people are walking in and out, not allowed, the doors are locked. And everybody just sits quietly. Pressure. So, um, and you've got cameras on, you know, it's quite, oh my Lord. Yeah. But once I did that, that came to give me a release of saying, well, I don't have to keep answering these questions. And I got so much, um, the speakers afterwards in the debate, you know, they were, they were mind blown away about it and everything. And sections of my speech were taken by other peers. So that made me feel that actually I was part of the House of Lords. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I had to debate my report, which was another di different thing because you have to respond and take all names. But, you know, I was proud of myself to do that. But it is a different junction again for, for somebody who's, you know, I'm a legal PA. I didn't yeah. have to speak to anybody apart from a boss. <laughs> but it's interesting how I've lost the guests I talked to kind of have something when they were younger that they're interested in, whether it's work or a hobby that they, they kind of lose touch with somewhere in the middle and then later in life it comes back into their life and that's what's happened with you you've always had this interest in law and and yes. now you've been able to use that in in the political world it's interesting how it kind of comes back in again later in life isn't it it is it's really you know I, I think that's really strange in a sense of the most like you say this the reason in our life the journeys we go you know mm. either to make you or to find out your skill set or what's inside of you because we we're like sheep, really. We follow a system. We follow patterns. So we're never put pushed out of our comfort zone, in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you know, I went to night school. My dad was a big believer in education, um, very big, big into education, very working class family. But education was paramount to him. And so, you know, for me, now I can see where he comes from in, yeah. in, in how he absorbed things. But it's, uh, yeah, I think there was a reason why I loved law. But it, 
as I say, when I was in the House of Lords, when I I was introduced and I did everything, I must admit during the summer, I was listening to some of these debates and thinking, oh my word, I'm quite numpty in a sense, because, you know, it was well over my head. And of course, it, it was because it was a subject I didn't know about. Yeah. And yet, because we all speak about our subjects that we are good at and the experience and knowledge. Uh, now I know that. But at the first, I'm thinking, oh my, you know, but yeah, um, yeah it has been a journey that I'm so honoured to be there. But, you know, I'm, I also get frustrated as well with systems. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, as a woman as well in, in that political arena, how how has that, what's your experience been of that? Have you, is there still kind of a lack of women in the, in the political arena, in the House of Lords, or do you feel like you've seen changes since you've been in this world? I think there is still, we could have still more. I mean, in the House of Lords, you know, I, I think it's, was still as equal as the House of Commons. Mm. I do think I'm a woman who wants to be there because I'm able to do the job, not just to tick a box and do yeah. it. Because, you know, I, I think that's what David Cameron saw in me. I'm just, and obviously, you know, that's important to look at as a mother of three daughters. But I, I you know, I have seen changes. I think there is, it's coming through. But again, I think it's um, a lot of them. I ha- what I get frustrated about is that the outside world doesn't understand them systems still. While yeah. we want more women, um, I don't think people get what you have to do. And it's quite a hard slog mm. to do to get, you know, elected uh, by, you know, that for that area to be put forward. Mm. It takes a lot of guts and courage and, and finances, to be perfectly yeah. honest, to be able to do it. Um, and I'd love to do another book about, you know, about what it really is like there. Because it's, I get frustrated and, you know, if you haven't got that finance to do it, you are then stopped again. Like anything in life, it really is frustrating. But I've made so many good friends of all different political sides. And, um, you know, at first I felt, you know, I I was getting so frustrated because I'm going to be perfectly honest, if I didn't have a day job, I couldn't do I couldn't go to the House of Lords because it doesn't pay you a salary. It's uh, an allowance, which is, you know, I'd love an honest debate about that. And when you see the media go on about, oh, you know, we're we're fleecing the taxpayers. And well, actually, yes, there's always bad apples in any organisation. But actually, I work damn hard and so do a lot of other colleagues who go in there. We're there to one o'clock. But if you don't go in the chamber... You know, it's not a lot of money for what you do. Mm. And um, so, you know, I did say, well, I'm very welcome, but I cannot come if I don't have a day job. So yeah. I've got a mortgage to pay. Yeah, exactly. And I was and, the main breadwinner. You know? And your girls must be so proud of you now. They must They must be watched. You know, they are, but then of... they go, you know, calm down, you know. <laughs> All right. Just because you've got you the Baroness, you know, don't think, you know. But yeah, they are proud, but it's, uh, you know, don't, you know, that they, they, they they're very well balanced and yeah. um and that's all I want them to be is to ensure that they're safe well and happy yeah, uh, and for me that's my priority and what about writing the book how hard was that to do I'm guessing that was quite therapeutic in some ways but also having to go through everything again um was that a difficult thing to do it was difficult I, I did have a, a ghostwriter because I've never written a book in my mm. life you know but I did have a ghostwriter, which I've been very honest about, yeah. because um, which I very much welcomed. I'd like to write my own book now mm. because I've learned, again, I had to learn what you do. Yeah. But it was therapeutic. It was also, you know, should I be writing about this? I was also scary about giving personal information. Oh, you know, I was, I was thinking about everybody else. Mm. But I, I do think people need, you know, sometimes 
just to understand the journey behind what Gary had gone through previously with cancer, the struggles with having children. And, you know, he he was the sole soulmate of my life and we've been together 20 odd years mm. so and I think it, it was very th- it was very cathartic very therapeutic and um yeah I, I, that was an interesting curve to do uh, I'm not saying I'm, I haven't made any money from it anyway but but you know it's it was interesting journey again I always see something that's interesting to do uh, and learn something from other, you know, I think it's brilliant how people write books. Uh, and they also, I have to say, also know now why my English teacher said, Helen, you know, you can't just do a, you know, a beginning, middle and end. You have to fill them in. I was yeah. always, oh, yeah, they had a bad life, lived after every after. You know, I've yeah. always, so I'm thinking that was the reason why she said that to me in English. You know, you must do that. Uh, but, but yeah, but I mean, that's why I went and did my, my GCSEs again at night school and I got an A, so I'm all right with that. But that kind of where that comes from, I don't know, but it, it really now has helped me to understand how you you know you put things down. And um, yeah, it was an interesting journey that one. And you you've you've really pushed yourself out of your comfort zone because you've been forced to do that through circumstances. But but you've continued to do that. Is that something that you really relish now, or are there still things that you think, oh no, I'm still not going to do that. I can't face that. Is there something you wouldn't do? Ah. Well, yeah, I wouldn't go on a celebrity get me out of here or anything like this. You know? <laughs> if you're asking We're not going to no, see you in the jungle. <laughs> no, you're not definitely going to see me in the jungle. No, no, no. Um, I think it's, I just look at life as an opportunity and I think you have a choice to do that. Um, mm. You know, I do think, say, oh, I can't do that. And then, you know, I, I, I've got a tendency to now I'm useless. And my friend says, well, you stop saying that word because you're not useless mm. at all. But I just think it's, uh, you know, I've learned how to, I've had to learn how to speak at conferences. I've had to, you know, but I didn't learn. I just, because people, when I joined and had these government roles, they said, have you had media training? And I said, no, because I just go on and chat to them. I don't, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, when I saw Ben Shepard and and, and Fiona Phillips, oh my God, you know, I've watched these with the kids. So I was more in awe of them actually to to get the story out. So because I'm just real like everybody else and I just want to help people, but also, you know, there comes a time where you think, hang on a minute, when you stop, because, you know, you, you're you're very busy yourself. I see you doing lots of things. And then, you you know, there comes a time where you say, actually, I've done this, this and this and this. Because mm. I think we forget yeah, we do. what yeah. we've done, yeah. how we've pushed ourselves. And so, you know, when I was six, I became 60 at Christmas. I just thought, you know, there needs to be more about women, what we do how you know we're not we've got so much quality in life mm-hmm. that I feel is is you know like I said that you're fabulous I you know what you do and inspiring and you know you, you're the way you, you you go in your underwear which is absolutely wonderful <laughs> you know at lingerie you do it you really and to me that's what we need more of I, I might say I've got body dysmorphia from all the operations I've had in life with kids and everything that's mm-hmm. another podcast probably but for me, I just think we are being lost. Yeah. It's, it's you know, there's so many good women who have either had to stay at home or worked in a job that really they want, don't want to do, but it's provided finances. Yeah. Um, and they've got so much ambition within them that we do lose that creativity that, um, you know, to me, it's a shame that we should, we should be talking instead of saying, and the rhetoric is, well, you know, we're now we're living too long. And I always say, oh, God forbid, you know, we're told to eat healthy, not having sugar, alcohol, all that. And now 
we're living too long, which yeah. really irritates me because actually it is valuable that what we've learned to put back into the future generations. Yeah. Because we all learn on our life skills. That's how we live uh, and we pick up things. Yeah. So it really, when you hear that line, you know, I just get, oh my God, we're living too long now. God forbid. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think it's, I'm just grateful for opportunities. I love meeting very, very much lots of different people. And I think there's still lots I would love to learn. Mm-hmm. And given the opportunities, you know, I would really like to do it. You know, I want my own radio show. Oh, I yeah. Love that way great. to have a debate. You know, yeah. I love to do my own radio show. I, you know, I, I love to do a, a another, like a, an Opera Winfrey show. I'm not saying I'm Opera, but yeah. I think we need to have more open, you know, not being silly let's get real women in let's help them yeah. and and I, and I think we see saw that movement in the pandemic but I'm conscious now that you know god forbid we all work from home because we're lazy or we don't yes. do this actually yeah. people are very productive yeah. uh, and if we can I look at it as I'm going off in a rant now sorry Rachel no it's because the fact that you know the fact is that you know we're they're all trying to get us the system the banks everything cashless well why can't we work from home and be officeless? But we're still as productive and even yeah. more productive because I know I work more hours yeah. than I would in an office. Yeah. Um, why, do, why do we put the narrative as negative? But if this was a real man's world, it'd be men are fine to do that. But it all seems to come back onto women, you know? And I just yeah. think, no, 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 this is very sexist conversation. Yeah, it is. Sorry, I, mean, I went in a rant yeah, there, Rachel. No, but you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, sexism is just out there still in so many different areas of life. We're just fighting Rise it. On. me. No. Yeah, sex and ageism. It's, you know, it's, it's... Yeah, it is. You know, it's, oh, you're 60. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm not ready yet. I've got so much. Because I think when we, when we get to a certain age as well, we've got so much to give back. And, you know, I think all the old traditions, loyalty you know, um, moral compass in life is getting demolished because what's portrayed is, you know, reality shows are just, you can go in and do this and win lots of money, but, you know, obviously there's lots of sex and everything. And you're thinking that's demoralizing. And again, we, you know, you can see it. I mean, I watch it, so I'm guilty as anybody, I'm getting more in that sense. But I also think that I also feel sorry for the actors and the actresses who have worked hard in drama school and they've done all their groundwork who are being obliterated from our screens. So I just think, you know, for me, it's about giving back and that's what I want to do is to give something back and, and help people, you know, to open a door or to give that confidence back to them. I mean, you, you are and Obviously, all you know, about I, I quite like doing. Well, you're all about empowering other people and helping other people. But, you know, what does helping yourself look like? Do you actually switch off and allow yourself time each week in your diary to just kind of do something that, that kind of relaxes you and, and is time for yourself? Or are you constantly go, go, go? Well, I, I have been, obviously, with the roles in government you know mm. I, the last role was victims commissioner yeah. which I did for seven years and loved it mm. you know and even that you know I had to set up an office because there was no office mm. I've learned so much how to structure a team and I've made some great friends they're all we all still all the teams I've had it's great we, you know because I'm very much a team player yeah and and that's very full on and then of course the role in the house of lords deputy speaker and I think it was the pandemic where I just finished in 2019. I, in June, I'd finished as Victims Commissioner and had the wonderful opportunity of going to New York at the United Nations. The victims advocate, oh, wow. Jane Connors, asked me to go over and a workshop. And 
that was mind-blowing. Uh, a, I'd never been to New York before, mm. America, and uh, and it went when it was bad weather, typical, but that's another story. But it was listening on a global aspect uh, of how the hardship on women who were starving and the children were starving and they were, they were being raped to feed the child a biscuit. Mm. And so, you know, we think we've got huge problems, but globally women are still, you know, an object yeah. and they're still fighting for their families. So it was brilliant, you know, from Africa, America, Hawaii, um, Italy. It was just listening to them all was just absolutely, I was honoured to do to, to be there. Yeah. And then, of course, then I stepped down there and then I became pro-vice-chancellor at University of Bolton. And as a northerner, you know, I absolutely loved it because talking full circle was Bolton has a, when I lost Gary and we're looking at New Love Warrington and everything, I wanted a, a club like Bolton uh, Lads and Girls Club and where... They have like 3,000 a week kids going in. Mm -hmm. They can rock climb. They learn maths and English. They get a hot meal, uh, 50p to join so that they know they've got to pay. It had everything in there and it was their safe space. So for me to go um, back to Bolton was something that was home from home. And Mm -hmm. again, working with students in deprived areas, different cultures, it's been fast paced, but I think the pandemic, I think it worked with everybody, made you put the brakes on. That's where I decided I want, you know, I needed, A, I've got fibromyalgia and arthritis. So, you know, I knew I was coming down. I was pushing my boat as my, my consultant mm. kept saying, you're really pushing your luck here. Yeah. But it also made me consider there was other factors in life that, you know, and now, you know, look at a work-life balance in a sense. So, but then I get bored, you see, and I, I like to be doing things. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Because you, know, you found your passion, of, you're passionate about it. You yeah, can see that. Yeah. You know, and I've got to learn to say no, but then I think, oh, well, you know, they ask for my help and, yeah. and everything. So, but I just want to make look that they can approach you they can help you can help them if you can't you can signpost them mm-hmm. uh, the people that need the help but yeah it's uh I have a work-life balance and I think you know I've got to kind of calm down a little bit still yeah. to do that but it's I, I'm getting there but then you know I, I often say I'm getting bored you know I need to do yeah. something so now you know that's where I've sat back and think, actually I've done this this and this I must put all this together and think as yeah. a package that I can help others with what about to advice to, to women that might be listening to this that are that are in midlife that are passionate about causes but are too scared to certainly wouldn't think of going into the political world maybe but but want to know where to start to get involved to, to maybe help in the community but they don't really know where to start what advice would you give to somebody that is thinking about being part of a conversation rather than sitting back and listening yeah and it's interesting that being part of a conversation instead of listening is so important because when I lost Gary, months before I lost Gary, you know, we'd gone to a community meeting because I was fed up of, you know, people urinating on the fences, mm. uh, the cars being damaged every week. You know, we worked really hard, everybody. And I remember going to the community meeting and they sent like the lowest rank of, you know, the police, the fire and everything. And and I just thought, you're not taking this seriously. Mm. You know, we go from a whiteboard to an A4 sheet piece of paper. And I did say to, to Eric, my neighbor, because Gary sat with the girls, I said, you know, until somebody gets murdered, nothing's really going to change here. Little did I know it was Gary. Mm. But it, it to me, it means that, you know, everybody's scared. Where do I go? What do I do? 
And I think now we've got the internet, which is more vast than, you know, it was dial-up when I was with, yeah. you know, I remember the dial-up tone. Um, is that it's it's about sharing and that's what I want to do. So if anybody is really, you know, passionate about it, start taking small steps, right? You know, it's about uh, our MPs. Nobody knows their MP or what to ask for, yet we see them all in my constituencies. Yeah. And I would say to anybody is that actually, as long as you're respectful, uh, but you're very passionate. I want to find out things. Just step out of that comfort zone. Send an email, mm. you know, and then it'll start that conversation because that is what I did. I sent an email and that started the conversation. It may not happen overnight. Yeah. And also like, you know, these podcasts help people, you know, get in touch with me. If I can help, mm. I'll signpost you or, or whatever. Mm. It's about sharing the information because a lot of work is siloed and especially government. It is, drives me bonkers. We're all in the same kind of ship, so to speak. But then all the little yachts are going off on their own because they all want to get ahead of everybody. It drives me insane. Yeah. And also it's about language. If you don't understand anything that's being said, just say to them, sorry, but could you say that in a different way? I'm not quite getting that. It doesn't mean to say you're stupid. Right. It doesn't mean to say you haven't got the brains. But sometimes we all get ingrained in language. Mm. So as an example for me, like, when I went into politics and the government departments, they'd all have these, you know, is it anagrams like, oh, the uh, HOC or say the yeah. AE, and I'm at it. I'm sorry, but it sounds Japanese. If you want me to understand it, you're going to have to tell me what these are. Yeah. And I think it also then on the other aspect is you're not insulting that person. That person should think, well, actually, I'm new to this. Yeah. What does that mean? Because then what you will say is you give me a load of waffle, really, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And if you look on TV, that's what most MPs do. They waffle, yeah. they don't answer the question. Yeah. And for me, it's about being honest. If I can't answer it or I can't give you the answer, I'll look for it. But if I can't answer it, I won't give you waffle because that, that's not what I'd expect people to do. Mm. Um, so I've always challenged within when I've been given these government roles because I'm more of a people person. Yeah. So just take it whatever you're comfortable with. If you don't get anywhere, look around what's going around in your local neighborhood. Look on the internet. And, and then, you know, you'll pick up that relationship with one individual. But, you you know, you sh if you feel you've got so much to offer, please go forward because not don't wait for something drastic like we did. Mm. But I think, you know, we have got so much skills to do. Yeah. Um, just do something comfortable for your zone and then something will add on to it. Yeah. That's so true, you know, because I, I, I have to say that I did um, a month's internship at the House of Commons um, when I was ah. about 42, 43. I was doing a degree in education studies. Um, and so I won a competition wow. through Red Magazine to spend a month with Rachel Reeves' office. And so the first ah. the first week I was down there, Helen, I didn't understand a word anybody said to me. And I, and I just no. spent the whole week feeling absolutely baffled and bemused and thinking, this is definitely not something I'm ever going to get into. And I did slowly start being braver and saying, actually, I have no idea what you're talking about. You'll have to explain that to me. Um, but I think it is about being brave, isn't it? saying actually yeah that that means nothing to me you're gonna have to break it down a bit simpler <laughs> yeah and, and also you feel like oh my god I wish I could be as confident as this woman she knows her stuff mm. or he knows her stuff but yeah. actually it's because they've been working in it for so long yeah that they know exactly what to do mm. and I'm not saying there's not boundaries to push and I've pushed boundaries and you know, I'm also not stupid enough to, to realize that maybe, you know, I'm flavor of the month for the PM. She's going to be here six months. Let's go. Mm. But actually, when I was given the roles, I was very honored to be given the roles. And I worked damn hard in them roles. I didn't yeah. expect everybody to do the work and I would show up. 
Yeah. I wanted to understand the role. I wanted to understand the government department. I only, and I think because I did that, um, I'm still around in a sense because I realised that they were treating me like, you know, you're just pacifying me. But actually, I want answers. I want to understand. I want to, yeah. you know, come back. I don't want to use people to do a report. I want them people to open the report and say, she listened to us. So I got voices from the people that I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you do get sometimes, you know, in these departments, it is like, you know, oh, flavor of the month should be off. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about respecting one another. Don't treat me like an idiot. Yeah. Um, I don't treat you like one. And let's go. And that's how you build relationships up. And I fully get where you understand. And that's why in the end, I said, you know, whoever was the top of thing, I said, you're the captain of the ship. And if your colleagues feel like that about me, it must be coming from you. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I was quite gutsy. I'd, you know, I just said I had enough. I'd, I'm not here to do this, I'm here to do a job. Yeah. But it is very daunting, you know, because they love to baffle you. Mm. So, you know, if anybody doesn't understand, just tell them. And if they laugh, they're laughing at themselves because actually they're not being clear to you so that you've grasped it. So you're not yeah. the idiot yeah. or you haven't got the brains. Actually, it's how they, they've communicated to you because yeah. we're all on the same side here trying to do a job. Um, that's the bit that kept gets me, you know, don't yeah. don't waffle me. Yeah. Um, and I say I had to learn, but, you know, everybody thinks you with a title, but I've had to work damn hard to ensure that, you know, it, I, I, there's more to it than just a title because yeah. they mean nothing. It's what you put into the work that yeah. matters and uh, matters to me. Yeah. Well, and, and that comes across, Helen, you know, that your passion for what you're doing um, really does come across in everything you do. So uh, I could have talked to you for so much longer. I would love talking to you today. <laughs> I think you're brilliant. And I Thank think the work you. that you're doing brilliant. is really inspirational. And, you know, I am only sorry that you had to go through all this for the, for the tragedy that happened because, you know, this should never have happened in the first place. But the fact that you've gone on to do so much amazing good work is just a credit to you. To you, you should be really proud of oh, yourself. Oh, thank you. My last no, question: that I, I think ask, we all do our best. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, but you know, it's how you deal with these things, and you don't know that until you go through it. Do you? you can't possibly imagine. Yeah, it. true, very true. Uh, my last question: that I ask all my guests, if you were to pay yourself a compliment, what would it be? I think that's difficult as well. I'm terrible. I think for me to compliment me is actually to pat myself on the back and say, girl, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's to me, that's all I want to do is to give my daughters to look as a, a female that, you know, no matter what we've been through, you can still step out of your comfort zone. You can still do it. You've still got quality. You've got the confidence and the ability to do it. You know, um, you know as I say, our scars are our wisdom and our pain is our power. Mm. and um, for me that's so important in life so yeah I I really feel like you know pat yourself on the back you can do this and you're doing it damn well girl and carry on doing it brilliant love it and what's next what's what's next what have you what have your goals dreams what you well as as you know I have got I've got my other dream is actually um to coach doing the coaching business which I really want to give back what I've learned not just to young people you know or for me it's about we've all got so so much niches but there comes a stage where you think I can't go any further or I'm struggling again understanding and how do I break that barrier down and to be regarded you know that I actually am capable of doing that so for me it's I've what skills I've learned from government from from globally um, I want to give back to other people to share you know what you're struggling with how can I help you step forward mm. because I think you know we've we all develop at different stages in life and uh, whenever you know our use by day is never used by because every second we can 
develop and change it. And as I say, uh, for me, I've seen how how our lives have changed within seconds. I woke up a wife, went to bed a widow. And if Mm. I can give back to them people to say, I can support you, um, leadership is so powerful. And leadership doesn't have to be nasty or icy. Leadership shows you that you're a team player and you believe in everybody around you. So that's my next. My business is going to be launched shortly and I want to get out there. And hopefully there'll be plenty of clients that want to come forward for the help and support. I'm sure there will. And how can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? I'm on social media. Uh, That's why we know one another. It's so powerful (laughs) at times. Yeah, I'm on social media as Baroness you love also the same handle on twitter i'm also linked i always call it linkedin but it's linkedin i'm on there and uh, i'm in the house of lords you know please email at house of lords if you want anything i'm quite happy to help if i can't i will find that you know i won't leave it um but in the house of lords it's just me i don't have it's quite funny when a lot of people come can you ask your diary secretary yeah. it's moi so please <laughs> be patient because you know uh, it's a but it, yeah no i'm very open i'm very honest i'm very working class i've been brought up with morals and manners and at the heart of it is from damn good parents who bred that in me so mm. if i can help other people be a soundboard or whatever i'm very accessible on there i just ask you to be patient when i pick it up to to get back to you Thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you today, Helen. I've really loved our conversation. I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. Well, and if you ever want here in London and want some afternoon tea, give me a bell and we'll have afternoon tea in the House of Lords. You're welcome I will do. No, I will take you up on Share that. Share what we've got. Brilliant. Oh, you're very welcome. Let me know. Take care. And thank you very do. much. Thank, thank you. you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Bye, Rachel. Well, I could have talked to Helen for hours today. I found her fascinating and I find the work that she's doing really, really inspiring. And she's just a great example, isn't she, of somebody that has overcome so much trauma that she could possibly, never possibly have imagined. And she's gone on and used her experiences to help and inspire and campaign to make a difference to other people's lives. And it, she's just not stopping. She's definitely a force to be reckoned with and she's on a mission. And, you know, she's now just said she's in the 60s and she's loving life and she's really embracing everything that comes her way and stepping out the comfort zone on a regular basis so I love the fact she's just so inspiring and I am definitely going to take her up for that afternoon tea invitation yeah like Hannah says if you've got something that you're really passionate about that you want to get more involved in don't be scared to step out that step out of that comfort zone don't be scared to make that first contact with somebody that might be able to point you in the right direction because particularly I think now is for women it's a really important time for us to use our voices and to be heard because we can collectively make a real difference to society so if you have been inspired by that and it's something that you're really passionate about then go for it and do it i will be back in the fortnight but in the meantime keep being fabulous thank you for listening to the out of the bubble podcast i hope it's left you feeling inspired if it has why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free step out of the bubble facebook group where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey supporting and inspiring one another you can also come and say hello on Instagram at Rachel Peru-Ron. I'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022. If you're loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration. But in the meantime, keep being fabulous.